a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. Today we're talking about the Iran nuclear deal struck with Obama three years ago and whether Trump, uh, President of the United States, will pull out of it based on all his rhetoric for the last few weeks. He's been threatening to do this, Keith. How important is it for the world that this nuclear deal with Iran, which they promised to denuclearise, stands? It's a vital agreement. So it's one of the achievements of the Obama administration. One of the reasons, obviously, why Trump doesn't like it is that it comes from that Obama era and he's trying to eradicate the eight years of Obama in the White House. Um But he is also under pressure from countries like Israel and Saudi Arabia to pull out of the agreement next month, which is the option that he has. On the other hand, um, he is being lobbied by other countries to remain with the agreement. So the agreement is called the P5 plus one. So P stands for permanent. So there are five permanent members of the United Nations Security Council. That's the United States, Russia, United Kingdom, China and France, plus one, which is Germany. So these uh, negotiated with Iran and three years ago concluded an agreement whereby Iran agreed not to go ahead with the development of nuclear material. So nuclear material is a double-edged sword. On the one hand, you can use it for civilian nuclear power purposes, but you can also use it for nuclear weapons. Um, so it's called a, a dual-use technology, therefore. So the Iranians, over 40 years ago, under the Shah of Iran, wanted to acquire nuclear energy, bearing in mind it's a major oil-producing country, probably number four in the world, but people were suspicious that it might have been acquiring nuclear weapons. Remember, he was in Australia, or at least we had Australians there, trying to sell him Australia's uranium. Um, In the end, the deal didn't go ahead because of domestic political reasons here and the anti-uranium movement. Um, So there's been a long-term ambition for Iran Under the Shah, then in 1979, the Shah is expelled from the country, replaced by the Ayatollah uh, Khomeini, and he says uranium is the work of the devil, so stopped all the nuclear program, which is good news. In the fullness of time, the Iranians changed their policy and got back into the business of trying to develop nuclear energy for civilian purposes, and we think they're trying to develop them for military purposes purposes. Um, So this is a crisis that uh, you could say has continued on, well, certainly from George Bush Sr., then on to um, moves on all the way through with Clinton and then George Bush Jr. and then Obama. Obama was able to sort out this negotiations whereby the deal was made because Iran is subject to international sanctions. Iran wants to get back into the international economy, wants to have its citizens being able to travel freely around the world. That was the quid pro quo. Give up your nuclear ambitions, we will ease up on the sanctions. And so Iran agreed to that. So why is Iran seen as such a threat to the world? It's a major power in the world. Um, it's part of the Shia Crescent. It would say it, it is the foundation of the Shia Crescent. So the Shia Crescent, remember you have the Sunni and the Shia. So the Sunni, uh, would, 
according to some, are led by Saudi Arabia, whereas the Shia community are led by Iran. So you've got rivalry there going back for 1,300 years. And they fight each other in other people's countries, such as uh, in Syria, which we've talked about in the past. So Iran, uh, then into Iraq... Remember the invasion of 2003, the promise of democracy, one person, one vote, gave Iraq over to the Shia, which is why none of the Arab countries supported the 2003 invasion by the US, UK and Australia, right? Because it just handed that over. So if you're working your way up geographically, you've got Iran, then you've got Iraq, then you move into Syria... And then you go across uh, Syria, which is governed by Alawite, which is minority Shia religion, and then moves across into Lebanon, which is Hezbollah. So that is what's called the Shia Crescent. And the Shia are very opposed to Israel. They're obviously opposed to the Sunni. So it's a real problem in that part of the world with this long-term rivalry. And Iran is just one of the major players, a population of over 80 million, very tech-savvy. The fifth most popular language uh, on the internet is Farsi. So it's amazing. These these are super intelligent people. They have a a great sense of their own tradition. Um, They've got a history that goes back thousands of years. And indeed, in an earlier history, there was King Cyrus who liberated the Jews and allowed the Jews to return back to the Holy Land. So there is actually quite a positive connection under some of the Iranian or Persian rulers and the Jews. And Jews have lived in Persia for thousands of years. And the Shah employed Jews as well. The Ayatollah comes to power in 1979, anti-Jewish, ramps up the rhetoric against Israel. Yes, so they've made some quite colourful and strongly worded threats against Israel in the past. Yeah, they have. They've threatened to push Israel into the sea. They want to get Israel out of the Middle East, etc., or get the Jews out of the Middle East or have Jews living in dimitude, in other words, um, as second-class citizens, but within Islamic societies. It's such a strong... Why particularly the Jews? Oh, that's a long history about the growth of anti-Semitism. But it is one of the very few points in which Arab states and Iran uh, actually seem to agree on many of the issues, although it is intriguing now that we have word of this conspiracy between Saudi Arabia and Israel, neither of which can afford to admit to it, um, of working together because they've now got a mutual enemy. In the Middle East, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So suddenly the Israelis are talking to the Saudis. And Israel already has nuclear weapons. Iran is saying we have a right to acquire them uh, to a counterbalance to um, Israel. And Saudi Arabia is saying if Iran acquires nuclear weapons, we will go to Pakistan and buy them from Pakistan. We finance that Pakistani bomb. We want to have a few of them on our own soil. So you end up then with a three-way triangle struggle over nuclear weapons in the Middle East. And you've, of course, got a very close relationship between Israel and America. Yep. So and, And obviously Trump does listen to a lot of the pro-Israeli supporters, not necessarily the Jewish community. Jews vote in the United States vote Democrat, right? They're they're not big supporters of the Republican Party, although there is a handful of millionaire Jews who are supportive of Trump. Um, But instead, it's actually the Christian lobby which is very influential as pro-Israeli in American politics. Now, of course, if you go back to the 1930s period, it was that same Christian lobby that kept the Jews out of America because Roosevelt was trying to let the Jews flee Nazi Germany and come to settle in America. 
and the Christians in America said, we don't want Jews in this country. Um, and so the Christian lobby at that time kept the Jews out. But since World War II, the creation state of Israel, 70 years ago, almost to this day, what we've had is, is in fact a change of attitude and the Jews in the Christian mindset are part of the second coming of Jesus. They're expecting Armageddon any day. It's a whole new mindset to get into when you deal with that sort of religious fundamentalism. But it means that the fundamentalist Christians who previously were very anti-Semitic are now very pro-Israeli. And of course, if you look at the opinion polls, the Christian lobby in the United States is actually increasing its support for Trump, which is worth bearing in mind when we come to the midterm elections in November. The Christians will be out to vote. So back to Iran then. That's a very interesting backstory. But then back to Iran and their nuclear ambitions. Do we have any evidence that they are actually pursuing nuclear weapons? Yes, we do. We're, over the years, there, there has been evidence. Um, it, and they, they've obviously done no testing. They haven't reached that level of sophistication. Part of the problem with this dual-use technology is that you can be working on the technology either for a civilian purpose or if you put in a bit of extra refining, you can put it up to weapons grade. Now, you've still got to get the delivery system, which is the debate that we talk about with North Korea. You've got to be able to test that your stuff works. Um, the great advantage for Iran is that they are super smart people and so they have very good scientists. The Iranians that have fled Iran uh, get into the United States today or well, not so much today, but until recently, certainly here in Australia. Uh, they are smart individuals. Um, so they've got a talented population. So you need to be able to get fissionable material, in other words, the basic uranium, which is what they were trying to do, buying from Australia, but there are other suppliers on the international market. You've got to have a technology for creating a warhead and you've got to have a delivery system and you've got to have a place to test it. And, of course, Iran is a huge country. So they could test it out in the desert. So in the last few years, I mean, Obama and the Security Council reached this agreement with Iran, um, but I thought things had probably improved. I thought they were playing ball. Why yep. now all of a sudden uh, does Trump want to crack down on them? Well, exactly it. And I think one of the reasons is that it's an Obama-era deal, therefore he's against it. Secondly, that um, Israel and Saudi Arabia do not want to have Iran return to the international community. If Iran is allowed to sell its oil big time, then obviously it has an impact for the other oil exporting countries. Um, but it would also mean an enhancement of Iran's role in terms of the bigger politics of the Middle East. There are many Iranians, of course, who just want to be accepted back into the international community. They want to be able to travel. They want to be removed from this watch list that the Americans have created, particularly since Trump, whereby it says we just won't allow Iranians into this country, into the United States. So there are a lot of pressures from both sides to adopt the deal, honour the deal, and then also lift the international sanctions. Now, at the moment, of course, America has sanctions against Iran, and in May of next month, the president has to recertify those sanctions or end the sanctions or end the deal or whatever. That's why we've had Macron visiting, and now we've got Mrs Merkel. She's due in town in the next couple of days. They're all doing their best to try to convince Trump. I guess Mrs May will be on the next plane over as well. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll talk about that in just a moment. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. We're talking today about the Iran nuclear deal. It was a deal under the Obama administration struck three years ago with the Security Council of the UN to get Iran to curb their nuclear ambitions. Uh, but since Trump 
has come into power, he is anti this because it's Obama's era deal. Uh, and he also has very strong relationships with Saudi Arabia and Israel who do not want Iran selling their oil to the world, which would this lead into. So we've seen uh, Emmanuel Macron, the French president in the US lobbying President Trump in the last few days. Uh, you said Theresa May is likely to do the same well, thing. I don't know if she's going to May, but we do know Mrs Merkel's on her way over. So she'll be arriving at the end of the week for exactly the same process, just to encourage him to honour the deal and let it continue. Because the worry is that if Iran feels that a deal has been a waste of time, it will say, all right, well, then we will go ahead and develop our nuclear weapons despite the sanctions. And, of course, you've got companies in France and Germany and the United Kingdom who are saying, lift those sanctions, honour the deal, lift the sanctions so we can get our companies in there. Because, obviously, Iran is a a big purchaser of foreign expertise, goods and services. So they want to get involved. If America... So this is the complication... Sorry, including America. You can only imagine that they would benefit immensely from how progressive those those Iranians are that love technology and love all the American brands. So uh, you've got a debate within America, obviously, with the big corporations that are saying, look, if we're not careful, the Europeans are going to be able to trade with Iran and we can't. So in other words, it's the long arm of American law that intrudes into European export policies. So there are a lot of European companies are saying, look, Trump, do the right thing, join with us, lift the sanctions, let's continue with having trade with Iran, that way we can all make more money, we will have the international atomic watchdog people going in and checking on Iran. So far, Iran has honoured the deal, let's carry on with that. And from an Iranian point of view, they're saying, yes, lift the sanctions, our people want to be part of the international community, we want to make money out of selling oil, we want to have our people being able to travel overseas as tourists. The problem for Trump with the deal, leaving aside the Obama aspect, is that he says the deal is too narrow because, (laughs) bizarre. So the deal was to deal with nuclear material. That's what it's focused on. Trump's complaint about it is to say, yeah, but it's not dealing with Hezbollah. Well, it wasn't designed to deal with Hezbollah. So Trump's complaint about the deal is to say it doesn't go far enough. In other words, that as part of the quid pro quo, Iran should agree not to assist the Assad regime in Syria or Hezbollah in Lebanon. But the negotiators back in 2015 wanted to get a deal on nuclear weapons. They didn't want to bring in these other geopolitical considerations. I was about to say that's such a stretch. Hezbollah is, yeah... Uh, a few countries away. Exactly. And it's a small part of Lebanon. Yeah. A very important, though. It is, it, it is a disruptive influence. But I don't think if you're putting together a nuclear deal that you actually then want to involve other countries and other political movements, etc. Trump has had to come up with a reason for disagreeing with the agreement. He just can't say, I don't like it because it's from the, the Obama era. He may think that, but he can't say that in public. So what he's got to do is to invent another reason. So his explanation is that it doesn't cover Hezbollah or Syria. So Trump being a money man, though, gets the economics of this. He just pushed it to the side for this particular one. Absolutely. And, of course, as I've said, there are a lot of financial interests in Europe who are saying, yes, we want to get back into that Iranian market. So how does Iran then, do they, have they offered unfiltered access to their facilities? Yeah, the Atomic Energy Agency does that work. And so far, the agency has said, yes, Iran is complying with the requirements. 
What about the population within Iran, Keith? How do they feel about the government? Well, they're very divided over the agreement and I guess divided over the um, government as well. So Iranians are very sophisticated people. Um, they follow politics closely, although there are limitations on their participation in politics, but it, it's not as bad as you get in some of the other Arab states. Uh, as I say, Iran is a Persian society, it's not Arab. So what is interesting is that you have some hardliners within the Iranian government who said they disagreed with this nuclear deal because it is curtailing their opportunity to acquire nuclear weapons. So you've got hardliners including the current Ayatollah, who really don't like the deal. Trump is playing into their hands because Trump is saying, I don't like the deal either. So the problem is that you do have hardliners in Iran who are saying, look, let's forget about trying to negotiate with the West. The only thing people understand is the whole acquisition of nuclear weapons. Therefore, we've got to go ahead with that. We will have to just put up with the sanctions and we will continue with our nuclear ambition. But what, how do they benefit having nuclear weapons versus having all that money poured into the country? So if they, they do the right thing and they open up the country, then they can thrive and, all their, and their population can thrive and all the businesses can open and they, they can travel overseas. And if they continue with their nuclear ambition, what will come of that? Well, it may well be a, a war with Saudi Arabia and Israel. Do you think they would really go that far? Oh, well, it's the other way around because we're actually looking at how Israel would carry out raids on Iranian facilities. Remember in 1981, um, Israel destroyed the Ozarok reactor, the French reactor in uh, Iraq, 1981. So there have been various um, war games played um, with um, Israelis flying long-distance flights, not yet into Iran, but just among some of their allies, just to get long-term training. It's assumed that if the Israelis were to carry out their operation, they will need to do it via Saudi Arabia, which has its own political dimensions. Israel cooperating with Saudi Arabia. You can imagine some hardline Arabs <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> who would say, we don't approval of that action. Thank you very much. Um, and so you see how complicated this is? I That's know. why I support the deal. Just let the deal go ahead. It's going to simplify everyone's life. But I've got to tell you, you've got some hardline Israelis, including the current Prime Minister, who don't like the deal. You've got hardline Saudis and you've got hardline Iranians saying, let's get rid of the deal and let's get back to the real confrontation. Who said the uh, Middle East was a complex issue? <laughs> Je, plural. Exactly. It's a very complicated issue. Of course, the other dimension to all of this is that one person who is keeping a close eye on the Iranian agreement would be the North Korean leader because the North Korean leader is about, if he's lucky, to negotiate a deal with the Americans over scrapping North Korea's nuclear ambitions with a quid pro quo to come from America and other countries. But if the Americans can't be trusted to honour the Iranian deal, why would North Korea want to negotiate with the Americans? So this has knock-on effects. A lot, it a would lot. seem. And another conversation to be had at another time, Keith. Absolutely. Pleasure as always. This has been Global Truth with Dr Keith Souter and it's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Liv Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.